Itami Media Group's 2 million download celebration. Hami Media would like to say thank you to all of our sponsors for supporting our free independent media platform. As we continue to grow with listener and sponsor support, we look forward to partnering with other creators looking to grow their audience, artists, debuting their work, and offering the best artisan products for our listeners to enjoy. Thank you to the following sponsors. Stevie Richards Fitness. Stuck at home? Gym's closed? You can be a band new you anywhere with the Stevie Richards Fitness Resistance Band Training Program. Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and join the SRF Resistance today. Zordos Olive Oil. Zordos Olive Oil. Imported ultra premium Greek olive oil. Available now at ZordosOliveOil.com. Taste the difference for yourself. The Coffee Brosters at TheBrosters.com. The only place to get the limited edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Get up and have a cup of bro, bro. Exclusively from thebrosters.com. ProWrestlingTees.com. The best way to support your favorite independent wrestlers, podcast, and hosts from Hami Media Group and Russo Brand is to get their merchandise exclusively at ProWrestlingTees.com. Podcorn.com. Podcorn is the place for podcasters and sponsors to network, find guests, sell ad space, and create new opportunities to build your brand at Podcorn.com. And Hami Media Group welcomes our newest sponsor, Tech Memes Ride Home Podcast. When the New Yorker magazine asked Mark Zuckerberg how he gets his news, he said the one news source he definitely follows is Tech Meme. For more than two years and 700 episodes, the Tech Meme Ride Home has been Silicon Valley's favorite tech news podcast. The Tech Meme Ride Home is a daily podcast, only 15 to 20 minutes long, and every day by 5 p.m. Eastern, it's all the latest tech news, but it's more than just headlines. You can get a robot to read your headlines. The Tech Meme Ride Home is all the context around the latest news of the day. It's all the top stories, the top posts, tweets, and conversations about those stories, as well as behind-the-scenes analysis. The Tech Meme Ride Home is like TLDR as a service. The folks of Tech Meme are online all day reading everything so they can catch you up. So listen to the one podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every single day. Search your podcast app now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home Podcast. Thank you to all of our sponsors, subscribers, followers, guests, producers, and hosts of Hami Media Group. Two million downloads for Hami Media Group is all because of your efforts and support. This is the Pro Wrestling Reflection Podcast with your host, the Professor Chalbello Veracruz. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful Tommy Wonder. And I will take the powers of those that have no fear. And the prodigal one, JB. The queen, yeah. The queen of the crop. Now it's time to go back in time in the Hami Media Time Machine. Woo! Sweet! And living legend, Bruno Sanchez. 
know, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. Woo! Look at this. What is going on there, Reflection Nights? It is Sunday, and you know what that means. We are going back in the timing time machines. We are going back to the glory days of wrestling. Yes, here at Hameen Media Group at Podbeam.com, we give you the PWR podcast. Who the hell is opening a can? What the hell is this, man? It's not a can opener. We're doing a show here, man. Whoever's... Whoever is beeping or throwing a can opener and trying to cook food during the PWR podcast, please stop it right now. And anyway, what the hell is that shit? That's him squeezing his spinach can. Who's cans. flicking? Who's flicking coins? No, no, it's not me for real. I swear to God. Coins. Something is happy. Either, either I'm hearing somebody opening a can opener or opening a soda pop. I don't know what the hell's going on, Reflection Night. They're just trying to distract me. I am no, not. Like 1989. I am not easily distracted, Reflection Eyes. You know me. I am the professor. I am the magnanimous one. I'm the man that goes, calls it right down the middle. I'm the man that steers the ship of the PWR podcast. And while we're going back to 1989, I got, I can't do this alone. Yes, I can do it alone. I've done some solo shows. You already know this spiel, but I got some cohorts in crime that's going to talk about this stuff here. I got some cohorts in crime who know what happened in 1989. I got some cohorts in crime who have a varying opinions about 1989. Whether it's politics, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's wrestling, who knows? But we got differing opinions. First, let's welcome back the essential one, the man who got his ass kicked not once, not twice, but three weeks in a row during the Raw Underground. He got his ass kicked by some dudes. He got his ass kicked by some ladies. He was pandering to the to the camera. He was he was selling like a motherfucker. But anyway, he is back. He's got a little black and blues here and there. But the essential one, the prodigal one, JB, is back from getting his ass whipped from Raw Underground. Welcome back, JB. How are you doing? What is going on, Reflection? I did is your boy, the prodigal one, JB. And yes, I am back. So glad to be back with my brother, the professor. And also, T.W., how are you guys doing? The doing. professor? Am I the professor? <laughs> That's the professor and the pretzel. The professor. <laughs> I am doing good. I'm feeling salty now that I'm a professor. <laughs> now I got to add some mustard <laughs> on it. <laughs> See, this is what happens, J.B. You get your ass bit. You get your ass beat by Shayna Baker. Yeah, how was that ass? your ass bit? Look, did she bite your ass, J.B.? Did Shayna oh. bite your ass? show has usually gone off the rails at different times. Has it ever actually started off the rails? <laughs> you know well, what? I didn't even get introduced yet, so no, it's never it's never gone this this crazy. Yeah, fun episode. Yeah. 
You know, and speaking of the person who's saying it's going off the rails, I'll introduce the other guy, the man who brought, who was uh, going on his phones. He's texting women while we're doing a fucking podcast because no. he's got booty. He's got booty to answer to in like four states right now. He is the king of social media. He's the king of Grinder. The king of Tinder. The king of eHarmony. He is your friend of mine, Mr. Wonderful, Tommy Strong, aka the Tommy Wonder, the conservative liberal of the PWR podcast. How are you doing, my friend? The Prince of Pooh. Two of the states were layover flights, damn it. And you can still get booty in the layover state. Wait, wait, wait. You can still get booty in the layover state. Go, don't give me that. You get as long as you calculate your timing and the and the, the rest stop of the airport, you can do it. Confused with a NBA player, right? That ain't me. That ain't I'm I am a wholesome moral human being. I was taking a picture of my desk and I put it on the <laughs> He said he's taking a picture of his dick. See you heard it right here on the PW podcast. JB you know, is my witness. That, I wasn't going to rat him out. You weren't going to rat him out. But the reason JB sounds so muffled is he's doing this via his cell because he was arrested for trying to kidnap Sonya Deville the other day. And we couldn't get him out. So we just got him that one collect call. Mm. No, no, no. JB does not do that. Allegedly. JB, Allegedly. JB doesn't do that. He doesn't stalk women. He doesn't do that. JB, I, I've got your back, my friend. This I got your back, kidnapping attempt, not a stalk. JB, categorically deny all the charges <laughs> put up against you by TW, please. I can neither. <laughs> oh, no, don't say that. Don't ever start with that. Don't ever start with confirm or deny. You're already making yourself look guilty, man. You sound like a, <laughs> I, I sound really, like a fucking Democrat right now. I wanted to get an autograph and things just went south. Spiraled. <laughs> Now we have spiraled out of control, ladies and gentlemen, but that's the way we do it here at the PWR podcast. You know, audio technical difficulties, you know, people in the dungeons, people, you know, opening cans in front of me. I don't know what's going on, but right now, as TW was holding some action figures, I saw Ron Simmons. Who was the other one? Flying Brian? Yes. First match on the show. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the end. Yeah, we're going to talk about the NWA from 1989, August 12th, 1989, here on the PWR podcast at Hami Media Group at Powerbeam.com. Now, guys, you know, 1989, the summer, you know, the summer sizzler tours, you know, the NWA was fresh off the heels of, you know, Great American Bash back in July. So all those hot angles some of them were still going on. Some of them were not. Some of them were winding down. Now, one of the hot angles we could talk about for a little brief moment here is Terry Funk and Ric Flair. Before we get into the matches, guys, I don't want to go, you know, segment by segment, but we got to at least acknowledge the hottest feud of 1989. I believe this was the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Feud of the Year between Ric Flair and Terry Funk. You know, Terry Funk was already in his mid-40s, you know, and he was... This was the best looking Terry Funk I can remember, even in the days of, of the WWF, even in his days in the 70s as an NWA heavyweight champion of the world. I'm saying it here. And even in the days, even though he was, you know, passing the torch and, and, and giving the young guys the rub in ECW, you got to admit that the 1989 Terry Funk was the best heel, the best character that was going on TV that year 
bar none in NWA. I'm going to go to TW first, and then JB will close it out. What say you, TW, about that? It's funny you say it like that, because almost word for word, I thought, wow, this is the best Terry Funk has ever looked. Like his promo, he, he went off the rails a little bit with it when he was when he was doing his promo, but he was calling Ric Flair nuts and said, that's all I want is that belt around your waist, which didn't go... go Co whatever the hell mingle co mingle with what he was saying about Flair, but also, coincide, coincide. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I was like, man, I wonder. I go, he's probably almost fifty here. I go, he's got to be, you know, at least mid to late forties, and that's not far from where AJ Styles is right now. And and mm-hmm. I would say AJ looks a younger forties than than Funk was a hard forties, but he he mm-hmm. was good. And and even when they show. Uh, the post-match where Muda comes out there, which I got a question. Why would anyone bump like Ric Flair did on taking the moon mist? <laughs> you should literally just cover your face. He took a full-on bump like he took a damn clothesline or whatever, but Muda comes that's, out. That's a trademark Flair move. You know that. He takes the excellent bumps. to save Ric mm-hmm. Flair, um, and it would be less than a year later where Sting would finally beat Ric Flair to become the world heavyweight champion on my birthday in 1990, July the 7th. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, T- Terry Funk looked awesome. Flair looked awesome. And it's crazy to me. I know how you YWC, IWYWC's elemental P's like to talk about Japan. This was 31 years ago this month. And last mm-hmm. month, I'm pretty sure someone put a video of the great Muda spitting missed at one guy that was green and the next guy was red and it was literally boom boom i think it might have been lance storm or someone tweeted it and said how because he had two different colors come out of his mouth and mm-hmm. you never see him throw another gimmick in his mouth so it had to be something he bit you know bit down on the one and spit it and bit down on the other but wasn't right. that recent he did it in japan against two japanese guys He's always done that in Jeff. I mean, he's in, still going. That's my point. Right. Still yeah. He, he's 31 years later. He's still he's in going. His, yeah. He's in his 60s. He's in great shape. He keeps fit. You know, and Muda loves what he does, just like Terry Funk, you know, when he was wrestling in his 60s, too. So, you know, when you love what you do, it is the drug, as they say. So let's go to JB. Like, you looked at this episode, like I said, 1989. Terry Funk, Ric Flair, the hot feud of the summer, and then you go incorporate Sting and Muda. But Terry Funk, you got to admit, JB, again, this is the, the greatest presentation of Terry Funk we have ever seen, in my humble opinion. What say you, JB? Well, I have to agree with you guys. I think Terry Funk looked really good, not only, you know, ring-wise, but promo-wise. He looked great. Now, I was wondering, though, because I know him and Ric Flair had a really huge feud, and I know he was once a babyface, and he turned on few, on on Flair and everything. How long did that happen from this point? That happened in in May of '89, where uh, Terry Funk uh, put Ric Flair through a table with the pile driver, injured his neck, and then they built it all the way up to July of '89 with the Great American Bash, and then of course it culminated in November of '89 with the I Quit match at Clash of Champions, and that's why, if I remember correctly, PWI, you know, made this the Feud of the year, JB. Anything else you want to say about Terry Funk or the uh, other counterpart, Ric Flair? So I was, what I was going to say, though, I thought that's how that was the order of events. So it, this is basically at the peak of their feud, and just every right before uh, Great American and everything. So yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this Terry Funk. I, I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed him as 
as as uh, you know his stints in WWE and and as Chainsaw Tron and all that. But in terms of true wrestling character and promos or whatever, this was the best Terry Funk I've seen. That that is true. So you know when you look at this, guys, you know. There is, you know, Great American Bash already happened, and four months later, you know, this is like, we don't know this anymore. This is this is the kind of formula that AEW is doing. Like, you do a pay-per-view one month, and then three or four months later, they're doing a pay-per-view again. So, we haven't had this in so many years because we're used to, like, WWE doing a pay-per-view once a month or even twice in a month, like they're going to be doing with SummerSlam and Payback. So, you know what? It's not overkill, TW. You w- know, WCW did it, too. Well, you know, WCW did it in the 90s, but I'm just saying, but this formula of, like, building a pay-per-view from ah, July to October. Days. WrestleMania to SummerSlam was an awesome time. SummerSlam to Survivor. Survivor to Royal Rumble, and Royal Rumble to, to WrestleMania was the road to WrestleMania. Was that was good. when it was a Right. So and my question... Ruin it within your house. Well, they had to keep up with the Joneses and, and try to make money. But anyway, but TW... You know, talk about that kind of thing right now, like th- that lost art. Do you think, you know, I hate to always compare 2020 to now. Do you think at least you don't watch AEW and you will admit that sometimes, but do you think AEW can do that? Can you you think that AEW can have a pay-per-view in May and then have a pay-per-view in September like they're doing and, bi- and, get in, and engage the interest of the audience like they did in the glory days in the 80s? What say you, TW, in that opinion? I can't believe I didn't already say this. I'm embarrassed. But I'm going to tell you why AEW can do it. Can or can? NXT, because NXT already does. So AEW can too. NXT Mm -hmm. does the takeovers usually only when there's a big pay-per-view. Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and maybe Mm -hmm. Survivor Series. Yeah. So, and I think every single person agrees, takeovers almost always deliver always mm-hmm. and it's from building it up they have job guys on aew i mean nxt they you know again we talked about it last week i think nxt lost a little bit of its lure for me when they added the second hour i i liked it better when it was one hour because it mm-hmm. made me want more and nwa right. back then had two hours wcw saturday night but they had a bigger roster so you could you could hide guys um, mm-hmm. They didn't have to have them on every show. Then they started doing main event. Then they did worldwide, like we watched here. And then Clash of the Champions was usually every three months. So, and, and that would be like a takeover, the Clash of Champions, because it was a pretty big deal. Um, it just wasn't, you know, I mean, it was because it, was it wasn't a cluster. So it it wasn't, yeah, right. it wasn't a cluster. I get you. Like there was one or two big matches on the Clash, and the rest would be like, just a Monday Night Raw main event or something of the, along that lines. But NXT mm-hmm. TakeOver, there's been some that only had four matches. Four damn matches. And if each one outdid the next. And it was just, these guys are just chomping at the bit to get out there. And there's limited space. Whereas now, like we're saying, and again, I, I'm not afraid to criticize WWE. WWE pay-per-views are so frequent and guys are always on them that it's just like a, a longer version of Raw. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, it's not. They're both three hours. So it's right. three-hour Raw, three-hour pay-per-view. The occasional pay-per-view is four hours. Um, so it's it's it, there's, there's no difference because they put the same matches on Raw. And now with this damn coronavirus, you have uh, a little audience. 
So they all look the same on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it's, right. it's, it's, I, it's I, overkill. I it's it's a lot of overkill. Mm-hmm. I hope AEW succeeds in doing it, and I hope their pay-per-views don't have everybody on the roster on them. And I and I hope it makes the WWE say, hey, let's fucking get rid of some of these uh, meaningless ones. Like, let's go six a year instead of 12, see where we're at. Because I do like the Elimination Chamber. I do like the Money in the Bank. You know, mm-hmm. the gimmick ones, right? So right. Have, have your big four and then have an Elimination Chamber and a... And a um, and uh, money in the bank somewhere in the middle of all of it, but all right, I, I get you, I hear you on that. It's a it's it's a lot of overkill that WWE does, so that's why I'm just trying to see if we can get that magic back. And AEW's trying. JB, any uh anything to add on to that? Expound on, or do you have a different opinion about that? No, for, I mean this doesn't happen frequently, but I agree with TW. I think <laughs> one of the worst things to ever happen in wrestling was when WWE and WCW decided to both go and do monthly pay-per-views. I think that was a... I understand why they did it. I understand it was for financial reasons and nothing more. You know, I know more about WWE than I do about WCW. WWE, the houses weren't doing that great. They needed extra money, another way to generate revenue. They decided to do monthly pay-per-views. I understand for the business side of things. But in terms of a, a uh, just a, a wrestling fan... When TW talked about Big Four, I and mean, obviously later we got King of the Ring, but the Big Four specifically, it was great. There was anticipation for these these events because this is the event that we would get to see a Hulk Hogan or a Sting or a Ric Flair or in a big match. Not we're gonna have some some sort of um, you know fuck finish. We're gonna get a proper match against two superstars and. The fact that there's so much overkill now is, I don't. First of all, the pay per views don't even feel like pay per views anymore. They're just an overextension of of the product, whether it's Dynamite or Raw or whatever. I mean, again, I don't watch the product anymore, but it just does nothing for me. I I promised William Alessia this past week I was gonna go back and watch some Dynamite, and I tried to watch it enough. Immediately, I was already like, oh man, because. I always thought Dynamite was was one hour because I, I watched Dynamite when it first came out, and the Dynamite I watched was two hours. I'm like, shit, they switched to two hours. I'm like, that's a huge mistake. You leave it as an hour. You don't need every, the whole roster on every show, on every pay per view. You don't need the entire roster on pay. Like, look at one day if you haven't seen New Japan, go look at a New Japan pay per view. They have like 500 guys on, on the on the freaking on a pay per view card. The, the, the freaking pay per view is like eight hours. It's like it's ridiculous. But it doesn't need to be that way. And because it's been that way, it's diluted the product to the point where people just don't give a fuck. It's not special anymore. At least to me. Do, do y'all guys realize do, do you guys realize how sensitive these wrestlers are today? It's, yeah. a, it's, an, it's a slap in the face to be a catering. They don't want catering. They don't want to collect a paycheck. They want to be in the ring and risk their bodies for you. To risk their bodies and, and, and blood, sweat, and tears. They don't want to be eating you know, good food shrimp cocktails they don't want to be drinking the good wines and watching the wrestling on the tv they want to you know you know make get their money's worth guys they don't want it they want to entertain you they feel they're doing a disservice if they're not entertaining you whether it's overkill or not well but i mean i'm not i was never a performer like tw so he might be able to speak better on this but i think what it is nowadays is a lot of people are in fear of getting left behind. 
because it's so much. If you're right. on that television, you're gone for let's you get injured, you're gone for a, a month. On your unless you're one of these top tier tier people, people like these top tier superstars, people are gonna forget about you. So they're they're always wanting to be in front of the television. They're always wanting to one up everybody, and that's just the way it is. Whereas back then, you know, more uh, less was more. T W, what do you think on that? Oh, you couldn't be more right. The look at all the guys. Like they agreed again. My goodness, though, there's something's going on. It's the COVID Travis, right now. Travis is gonna call this AEW bashing, but. If Travis is honest with himself, then he's going to know, I haven't liked these guys ever. And I like them even less now that they finally are in AEW, is the Revival. <gasps> guys Shut your mouth. had it all, and it still wasn't enough. And now that they're on AEW, and they're going to get lost in the shuffle there too, mark my words, because they're not that good. The one guy's better than the other guy. The bald guy who's made out of glass is going to fade away. And unfortunately, that means the other guy's not going to do shit either because he would never make it as a singles guy. But the, the guys today are so desperate. Um, they're marks for themselves. They're marks for belts. They're marks for main events, right? Whereas back in my day, if you were just on WrestleMania, you made it. <laughs> you were happy to be there, whether it was the Andre the Giant Battle Royal, any place in that damn thing. If you came out and were a timekeeper just to have your face on there, you were happy with it. Not anymore. Now guys got to say, I just read The Miz the other day. If he's not main eventing uh, WrestleMania 38, is what's the next one? 35. No. Okay. So 35 or 36. Mm-hmm. Well, not this one coming up next. The one after it. Mm-hmm. If he said, if, and he made this goal a year ago, if he's not main eventing WrestleMania by 38, whatever the one is, not this one coming up, but the one after, he's going to call it a career. Why? You have absolutely no say or control in whether or not you're going to main event WrestleMania. Someone like Ronda Rousey, where there were no women, or Charlotte, or whatever like that, you're making history. It's a pretty fucking good guess that one of those two are going to be in the main event, if not both of them, Charlotte or Ronda. The Miz mm-hmm. saying it? What? You've already <laughs> main evented WrestleMania as you probably shouldn't have main evented. Now you're saying if you don't do it, and I commend him for wanting more. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not shitting on his uh, appetite for more, but but these guys nowadays, please tell me you guys agree with me that the revival got everything anybody could ever want and still somehow wasn't enough. I like them. I you already know me. I, yeah, I you like can them. like you can like them all you want. But when they're tag team champions and still going on Twitter saying free the revival, like they're being used wrong, what do they want to come out and beat Roman Reigns? What what more do they want that they haven't they, gotten? Like it'd they, be like right now if the Street Profits went and said that. Mm-hmm. The damn show is all Street Profits. So of all, the, but you know what those two guys are that them other two idiots aren't grateful. What? That's what they are. They're absolutely grateful, and they're going to be around a long time. They actually have charisma. They have athletic ability. They aren't trying to emulate a tag team, which, by the way, is my second favorite tag team of all time. That would never make it in the modern day, which is Tully and Arn. They made it back then because people thought wrestling was real, and they did a lot of cheating and mm-hmm. dastardly shit. They didn't do a lot of wrestling. I mean, you had the spine buster, the slingshot, suplex, the Tully had a nice drop kick. But their ham and their bread and butter was healing. Right? Mm-hmm. That ain't. I have a question. It. I have a question for both uh-huh. of you guys. So, and TW made me think of this question. 
And uh, for those who don't know, I also do a a uh, a UFC podcast, and um, I, I don't want to. There, I'm going to get to why I'm bringing this up. There's a lot of issues going on right now with with fighter pay, and uh, you know, a lot of fighters are pissed off because they don't feel like they're getting paid enough. And uh, this debate has been going on for a while. The reason I'm bringing this up is because it's crazy because some of the top fighters are like we need more money, and then you have some other guys who. I know for a fact I saw their payday was twelve thousand, which it's extremely low tier for UFC. And these guys were thanking right. the president of the UFC, Dana White. Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to Gratitude. make this. So my question, and this goes back to what TMB was saying. I feel like back in the day, guys were so happy just to even be on the card, whether it was a curtain jerker or wherever they were on the card. Whereas nowadays, if you're not main eventing, you're, or you don't have a, a, a huge spot on the show, you're pissed off. My question to you guys is, at what point, because I don't realize, I didn't realize it, but at what point did this change from, hey, what can I do for the business versus what can the business do for me? The click. When the internet was invented. Oh, that too. What did you say? I said the click. The click click got business oriented more. with the click. Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. Especially when they went to WCW. The, no, no, no. The, the, there's I, a different. No, the, there's a difference between like Hulk Hogan making it like in the '80s big, but he was a business. He was a, into business for himself. He wanted the most money, and he can say to Vince, "I'm drawing the houses. I'm making the money." Just like exactly. Ric Flair said. Just like the Four Horsemen yeah. said. We're we're selling out the houses, so the formula for the tradition worked for when it came to money, and everybody is happy to be on that card. If those guys are selling out for that reason in the 90s, you said it right. The Internet did it. But also the click was like, let's, you know, learn the business behind the scenes of the paydays. What are you making? What am I making? What can we do to get everybody making this money? And then when it became about the money, then what did it? What was the evolution to that? Now it's TV time. Now it's the main event. Now it's, you know, Twitter. Now it's YouTube. Now How I many gotta, shirts do I have? How many um, of my shirts are you selling? Yeah. You have I, to not get to the branding. Like how many options do they have? Like, you know right. what I mean? One shirt for me? Yeah, because it doesn't fucking sell. So why would we make a second one? Right. Like, so right. whatever. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it. I'm going to change my answer. I'm not going to blame it on the internet because the internet was around. The, it, it ended... JB, when Hall and Nash got that, yes, the nations or whatever the hell, favorite nations. What yes. That's what I favorite was favorite nations. That's when it ended, right then and there. The fact that anyone would that would, Vince would never do that ever, because that means you can't pay anybody money to come there from somewhere else without also having to pay some other asshole money who got the favorite nations deal it's it's it ruined it it ruined it i mean that's that's when it became greed and i get it if you think vince and and eric bischoff are making hand over fist money and you want your piece of the pie but that ain't how it was vince had to let brett go because vince was losing money not because he was making it. He was paying everybody. He could have very well went the Paulie way and just stopped paying guys, but instead took the brunt of it because he has money. He was losing his he was using his personal money to pay the professional debt, knowing that was only gonna last long and before he just was done. But and, and I'll say this ruined it. And I'll say this and JB, if you can chime in because of your UFC cage theory expertise. I think if Bellator was on the level of UFC, which it's not, it's like three times smaller than it is. It doesn't equate the money and 
there is brand awareness. I'll say this, but it just doesn't equate the the same you know feel of importance like a UFC pay per view does. Dana White can monopolize. Dana White can control the money and divvy it up the way he sees fit. So that's why you always, you know, maybe they're not complaining as they should. I don't know if they, I will say they, they deserve to be complained, but they're putting their bodies on the line. But if there's a viable competition that would pay them more, double or triple, then Dana White would say, oh, shit, I got to pay you guys more just to be under my banner of the UFC, JB. So that's the way I'll say it for that. So the thing is, like you said, Dana White does have a leg up on Bellator, and there's a couple other organizations, um, not necessarily in the United States, but in Japan and stuff, that are pretty big organizations, but UFC is the number one organization in the world, and, and the number one uh, sort of uh, generated revenue, they're worth billions. Now, there are guys, though, who have left UFC to go to Bellator, not because Bellator pays them more, but this goes back to wrestling as well. A lot of guys leave WWE. Why? WWE is the big show. But why would you possibly leave that paycheck? Because a lot of these guys care more about how am I being used, what, where am I on the card, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's the same concept. A lot of the guys who are top guys in Bellator would be pretty much nothing in UFC. Um, there's, a, there's a guy right now in Bellator. He's a free agent. His name is Michael Chandler. Really good guy. And uh, everyone's wondering, is UFC going fi- to sign him? Dana White is very interested. I don't think they're going to sign him for the very simple reason is the money that Dana White's going to offer him, Chandler's not going to want to leave you a, a Bellator because he's not going to be on the same spot as this card. He's main eventing Bellator cards left and right. So it's the same concept going back to the V. A lot of these guys, okay, the Revival, they could have stayed in WWE and collected paychecks and whatever, or some of these other guys who have left and collect paychecks and call, call it a career. But they wanted more for their 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 characters, which personally, and this is just me, I think it's just nuts. For me, it's about the paycheck. Fuck everything else. You want to make me mm. a jobber? Make me a jobber and give me the paycheck. When we don't make right. that money, you're feeding your family. Right. When we don't make that kind of money, that's it's an easy answer for us. But when we're not in the business to say it, so here's, it is what it is. No, no, no. Wait. We already we already to say about the UFC. No, the UFC okay. guys. Most people listen to this are going to hear fucking 12 grand. Like, that's low. Well, these guys can only fight three, four times a year. So they're at most going to make about 48 grand a year, which means, by the way, that's if they fought four times a year, which means they're going to have to have another job on top of this in case they only wrestle that one time. Um, But, right, a lot of them do. And then, but some of them are sponsored, so a lot of their shit's paid for, so they really don't have to have the bills that we would have. But here's here's the difference: those guys that are grateful for getting the eighteen grand or twelve grand or whatever case it may be, those guys have an opportunity every time they get out there to win the knockout of the night, the submission of the night, the fight of the night. And when they do those things, they're going to make more than twelve grand on their next fight, and they're going to get hyped, and they're going to get a Slim Jim commercial. So if you go out, if you invest in yourself, you don't necessarily get that in WWE. You you can do all the shit you want. If they don't use you, what are you going to do, right? And and if they do use you and tell you we want like this is a fourth wall, you, your match is ten minutes with intros which means you got six minutes to wrestle. You're not going to display everything you have then. At the same time, 
you fucking find a way to, right? You you do the best things you do in those six mm, minutes. You make you make a negative into a positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you had and and you have two different people: the ones who will and they'll thank Dana White for paying them, or Vince in this case, and then you have the other ones who will just bitch and moan the whole way and go out there and phone it in, and then wonder why nobody gives a shit about them because they phone it in every time because they only got eight minutes and they wanted twelve, and they they got twelve and they wanted thirty, and it's like. It's 2020, man. I'm going to tell you, I've been a wrestling fan my whole life. Clearly, I'm not as big a fan as I was when I was a kid. But 30-minute matches put me to sleep. I don't have any interest in them. And I also don't have any interest in a six-minute pinball machine match. So somewhere there's got to be a difference. And I think we got it in the main event on this worldwide show. If matches were more like these Freebird Steiner matches, where the finish isn't someone's finisher, where it is out of nowhere, where they are going back and forth, where it is chaos but controlled chaos, I think it needs to go back to that less than how many super kicks can I get in? How many How many uh, signature spots. rock Just bottoms spots. or whatever these guys got? Yeah, spots. But, like, everybody's got to have their rock bottom or their people's elbow. I, 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 I hear that. Bottom. I meant people's elbow. I hear that. It's amazing reflectionized with this boardroom style that we're doing. We can win. You're going to hear 2020. You're going to hear 1989. You're going to hear Cage Theory 2.0 Redux. We're giving you everything. I don't know if we're going to give you Conspiracy Horseman. I don't know if we're going to give you right opinion, left opinion. <laughs> but we're going to give you something. But let's get back into this August 12, 1989 edition of this show. I mean, you talked about the main event, but we're going to have to at least talk about the beginning because the beginning was so kind of funny to me because you saw a tag team, you know, Par excellence match with Ron Simmons in a mass ding dong going up against Flying Brian and Tommy Wildfire Rich. I, I mean, I look at that match, and I'm going to go to JB first. It, it, all four of these guys don't mesh. These are four <laughs> singles guys that are being, you know, everything we're talking about with, you know, getting time and being humbled. They're getting TV time here, JB. So this tag team match, number one, if I'm looking at my 2020 eyes, we would be like, this is hot garbage. Number two, I need to buy some popcorn and hot dogs for my kids, you know, or I need to go to the bathroom and take a shit, and then I'll, I'll get back to the main event. What say you, JB, about at least the opening match that you saw on the, on the main event? Yeah, forget about even, like, what happened in the ring. Just looking on one side to the other side of what, you, what these tactics are. It's just crazy, especially that. I don't even know what Ron Simmons partner's name was but um ding dong really- just call him the ding dong <laughs> yeah. yeah it was so it was so weird but at the same time as soon as it sounds i understood what they were trying to you know th- this was the route they were, they were trying to go and they were trying to you know rod simmons if i'm not mistaken was on the verge of turning and uh he was still a i believe he was, was he a baby face on this or was he a heel? i don't even know who's what in this he was a tweener he, he was a tweener who didn't who had no direction and he was doing some vile, heelish stuff. And then you saw someone like the Iron Sheik out of nowhere looking at <laughs> at Ron Simmons like, I can make him a star. And, and we got to be honest with each other, Reflection Ice. Iron Sheik was nine months pregnant. He could barely walk. And this man was the antithesis of collecting a paycheck, just like T.W. said. This man was humble to get $100,000. You want to talk about what ruined things, guys? 1989, when Turner was taking over the, the books of, of NWA or WCW, whatever you want to call it, guaranteed money started flowing in that land, in the land of Atlanta. 
starting in 1989. That's what was starting to ruin wrestling. But anyway, I want to go there. TW, I mean, look at the, the variables here. Four single guys, then the Iron Sheik. I mean, this is a clusterfuck of clusterfucks. It absolutely was. And Tommy Rich, later on in the show, they tell you he's the number 10 contender for the world title. And he's actually fighting Terry Funk next week on Worldwide's main event. And yet here he is, Brian Pillman. Like, I'd like to believe by 89, I was watching NWA religiously. Because this is staying. I mean, there is heavy UWF influence on this episode. You have Sting. You have Rick Steiner. You have Missy Hyatt out there with Rick Steiner. Um, but it's 89. It's been at least a year and a half since because it's August. I think they got late, late 88. So almost a year, year and a half since they got WCW to buy uh, UWF because it was sometime in 88, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. But just, man, this, I, like, I, my point was, I'm watching this religiously. I don't remember the Iron Sheik being around for Ron Simmons. So my only guess is it had to be some shit only seen on Worldwide. It wasn't on Saturday night. Like, this is kind of like their little side deal gimmick. And maybe they reference it on Saturday night, but I never watched Worldwide. I don't even know when it was on. And Tommy Rich, I do remember him coming back and and then making a big deal about how he was world champion for three days because he beat Ric Flair back in the Stone Harley, Age. Har Harley Harley Race. Harley Race. Oh, he beat Harley. Yes, he did. Oh, wow, I didn't know he beat Harley. Did he lose mm -hmm. it to Flair? Uh, no, he lost the Harley again. He lost it back to Harley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do remember him in this, and not long after this, he became Thomas Rich, and he joined Terrence Taylor and Michael Wall Street uh, as the uh, York Foundation. York um, Absolutely. I don't remember this Iron Sheik Ron Simmons deal, and Ron Simmons is dressed like either Lex Luger or Stone Cold Steve Austin when he first got to WWE as the ringmaster. Mm -hmm. and, and JB, before we get to the to the other stuff that went on in the main event here. You know, look at Ron Simmons. He, he's about a couple of months away because this is August. So basically two months away from forming a, an alliance with Butch Reed, forming an alliance with an untapped potential tag team that a lot of people sometimes don't even talk about. Just like we talked about in the greatest tag teams realm, Doom. I mean, what, what say you? I mean, did you see this coming with the, the way that, you know, they were laying in the weeds with, with Ron Simmons, like I told you, like a tweener. That he had no direction. Could you see it right here before you even knew that Doom was going to be in existence? What say you, JB? No, I mean, I had no idea. And again, I wasn't following NWA slash WCW a lot back in these times. I was hardcore WWE. So um, I, I watched it a little bit here and there. But you could definitely see there was potential on Ron Simmons. I mean, he had the look. He could go with former football players. So obviously you could see the guy had loads of potential. And, um, you know. Loads. I'm glad to see his career went the way it did. Although, unfortunately, when he went to WCW, uh, WWE at first, that shit almost got derailed because freaking <laughs> Fuka I don't know what the hell his gimmick was about until this day. I don't know what his gimmick Trojan was about. Horse. But yeah, he bounced back and uh, he's you know one of the one of the the coolest characters ever. I mean, till this day, people are still freaking chanting "Damn!" So mm -hmm. yeah, he so made it. He made an indelible mark in the world of professional wrestling, whether it's WWE, WCW, no matter the case may be. So, you know what? We're going to talk about, you know, the theme of this main event here, Reflection Nights, really revolved around the tag team of the Steiner Brothers and the Fabulous Freebirds. Of course, the Fabulous Freebirds here 
were the NWA Tag Team Champions, and TW has always stressed that the the combination of Jimmy Jam Garvin, Michael Hayes, and Terry Gordy is better than Buddy Jack Roberts, which I say is still one of the best trios, you know, in in terms of the Freebirds here. I go with with the original. TW goes with the you know the uh, repackaged form of Jimmy Jam, even though Jimmy Jam was already a, a member of the Freebirds, no matter what, even in this in the early days of, of World Class. So. And TW, you wanted to talk about an interview segment with Rick Steiner that probably can't happen in 2020. I mean, you know, Rick Steiner, the lovable Rick Steiner, you know, he <laughs> was he was slow. He was he was like a, you know, they, they made him look like, you know, a, you know, a slow man, mentally retarded. You know, you can't do also that. Can't be done. <laughs> and and it can't be done in 2020 because people would say that, you know, wrestling is making fun of people of that state. You know, you can't do that. But the the crowd ate it up. Rick Steiner played it off as a as a lovable babyface, TW. I mean, as wrestling fans, we're not that we don't we don't supersede the realities of what's going on. We understand what they're tr trying to do and and it worked to me. I mean, Rick Steiner being the lovable, you know, dumb guy and Scott Steiner like being that kind of like big brother, even though that he was the younger brother, but he was, you know, always watching out for his his big brother, who was a little bit slow at the wheel. What say you, TW? It it was cringeworthy. It was uncomfortable. It was, <laughs> they were just shy of calling them the F word or the or the H word. Um, and he somehow spandex, which by the way he wrestles in. And then Jim Ross went to say, you know, all guys that wear spandex, and and Rick put his hand out and said, are funny, are funny, and shook his hand like the you know. And uh, then Terry Gordy comes out to defend him, and you're almost like, well, damn. I'm like, hey, they just made Garvin and Hayes look like a couple, like Chuck and Billy. And mm -hmm. then B, Terry Gordy like a baby face. And then they're going. It was just awkward. It was you, you know, uh, wait, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but you know what? 89, 90, 91 Freebirds, even though you like Jimmy Jam and, and Michael Hayes, the combination, did you notice that? You know, late 80s, early 90s Freebirds, they were very effeminate with the mascara, the lipstick. They were really looking like a, an 80s metal hairband, but they took it to the extreme. They they were being like Prince, but more San Francisco Prince. I, I mean, I'm trying to give you a visual here. <laughs> but, and you like that but combination. I was, I was pleasantly surprised when, when, when he kept saying those two guys, those two guys, and then Terry Gordy came out. I was thinking 89, that's got to be Garvin and Hayes. And then when Terry Gordy was referenced, I'm like, I, I have no memories of Gordy being with those two. I just remember being those two. And I think you told me on one of our other shows that Gordy was with them here and there and at different times. Um, mm -hmm. And, like, the the Freebirds, it's, it's got to be around 89, 88, where they wore those black pants with the white boots with the white leather jackets and, the like, the... the 90, that was 92. Uh, that was 92. Okay. Mm -hmm. What are those sunglasses called? You know what I'm talking about. They're expensive as shit. Um, Ray, not Ray-Bans, but... Uh, yeah, those, those flashy uh, sunglasses. They're very flashy. Right, they're I understand. And, and, and anyway, so when they came out, I was like, wow. I'm like, they're wearing just blue tights, white boots. They look like the Michael Hayes version of the Buddy Roberts Freebirds. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, they almost did Blade Runner makeup, didn't they? The eyeliner was kind of like 
yeah. thing and, and and Warrior when they wore it like off the wall. Not they like, weren't trying they to weren't trying to be Blade Runner. They were trying to be David Bowie from the seventies. But that's just the way I looked at it. Right. Yep. But yeah, it was just it was it was crazy. And then you end it. Terry Gordy hitting him with the stiffest potato ever. Clean his clock, which would also not be a row because you're you're pawning him off as being mentally handicapped, and then you had the biggest guy there knock him down. Like that's mm-hmm. bully, right? So right. all of it just it's it's not happening in 2020. Absolutely. I'm stunned not. that Eugene happened. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Again, 2004, it was in the levels. We were we were so close yet so far. And JP, you know, looking at you know these two tag teams here from the main event of 1989, you could say that you know big things were on the horizon for the Steiner brothers because they were heavily NWA was heavily pushing the Steiner brothers. It was almost like they they knew that the Road Warriors time was over. I don't know why, but they, they kind of like, you know, put them on the back burner. They're always dependable, but they looked at the Steiner brothers here as, you know, they're the future, the 90s, you know, torchbearers of tag team wrestling. What say you, JB, about that? Yeah, I mean, you can't really blame them because you're you always got to build the next guy up because as good as the Road Warriors were and as great, you know, great characters they were, as great look that they had and great on the promos, you always have to have, okay, who's the next team or who's the next guy up? And that's all they were doing. And obviously the Steiner, they, they saw something in the Steiners. I mean, they could they, they, they could work, obviously. And, you know, uh, Rick was good, good on the mic. Scott back then wasn't that great on the mic. Obviously, things changed for him later on in his career, but... I think Rick had a little more personality back in these days. Uh, one thing I was kind of interested, though, in this match, I never remember ever Scott not having that singlet on. At what point did they start wearing the singlet, or was this just a one-off thing? Uh, in 88-89, uh, Scott Steiner actually was wearing tights. You know, because during his Mid-South days with Jerry Lawler, he was wearing, like, white trunks or gold trunks. No knee pads, you know, that's a no-no for, for TW here, but he had no knee pads. <laughs> Everything matched, but then he's, he did the singlet starting in late 90, I would like to say, like mid-90s. Like early- I'm 100% positive in saying this. I, this. I've never seen the Steiners this early in their career. I from the, Since I've known the Steiners from day one, they've always wore the singlets. I've never seen mm-hmm. them. This type of Steiner. So it was interesting. When I saw Scott, I'm like, what the hell? And then nope. I assumed, like, maybe they just wore whatever the case may be. But, yeah, I was fine with it. I was fine with Steiners. And it's funny. Even TW, you haven't said the Cardinal sin that the Steiner brothers didn't match. You hated that. They didn't match. You didn't say nothing. You just remember the Steiners. You know, Rick is, you know, mentally challenged. You know, but you didn't say they didn't match. I'm surprised. The hey, Bob hey, Mackey of the PWR podcast did not even say anything. Why, that's probably why I tell you all the time the Steiners aren't in my top five tag <laughs> They would have been. If they they <laughs> stayed together and, and matched. They did in WWE for a while wear the Michigan jackets. They came to the ring with them, and they, they wore the same colors but not the same scheme, if you will. Mm-hmm. Rick would wear one yellow boot and one blue boot or something stupid like that. Rick always had mismatched boots. This one's funny to figure here. He's not. But uh, I think here, if, if, uh, if JB, I mean, uh, I think me and Professor talked about it before you signed on. 
I was like, I don't remember Scott in tights. I, I, he was in Bruiser Bedlam Wrestling, which was a Detroit uh, wrestling company in the 80s. And he was Scott Recksteiner, because that's their actual last name is Recksteiner. And Rick's name is actually Rob. So yes. Recksteiner is this, a play on his Recksteiner last name. Um, and so his name's Rob Recksteiner. Uh, but yeah, he looked weird. And, and the no knee pads was kind of weird. But I remember when Scott wore like, the, the the crazy singlets, I don't remember, but I remember S S Scott wearing these singlets where it was mm -hmm. like a high school wrestler would wear. Yeah, actually, that's Rick what I was talking about. Yeah, that's what I was. And look, he's got no knee pads. And this is a WCW figure. Um, so when he came out to help Rick after Terry clobbered him, and I seen he had boots on and the shorts, I was like, oh, he just must have the straps down because the T-shirt was covering him. And then when he came out and wrestled, he had shorts on. And I was like, whoa. I'm like, what is this? And to be fair, I didn't catch the knee pads or I would have pointed it out. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, I'm just saying that you, it surprised me. But before we get to the first half break here, like we always will take a pause for the cause. And Big Ray is going to show some, play some clips from this episode of NWA Main Event from 1989. Before we get to that break, JB. You know, not only there was one mentally challenged retard, there was two mentally challenged retard wrestlers. Norman the Lunatic <laughs> was wrestling. You know, Muckham Singh from, you know, Canadian Stampede Wrestling, managed by the godfather, Teddy Long. You know, he had the key around his neck, JB. I mean, technically, he was supposed to be scary. You know, the kids were supposed to be afraid. They were supposed to cry. But it morphed into... Again, another lovable, you know, mentally challenged person. And he loved hugging kids. He loved playing with teddy bears and all this stuff. JB, I mean, you know, this was a gimmicky, you know, character that WWE does. NWA was always the moniker we wrestled. We, we are sports oriented. And this is a great sign of Jim Hurd. This is a great sign of Ted Turner, you know, falling into the trappings of Vince McMahon. What say you before we get to that first half break? Did Jim Hurd have the books at this point? Yes. Okay, well, this is why you don't have a guy who was like this <laughs> fucking pizza hut or whatever the hell he was doing before. <laughs> why you don't mm -hmm. get the books? Because you have stuff like this. But, I mean, uh, uh, you know, what are you going mean, to do? You, you have to have different characters. And especially, I don't feel WWE. Well, no, let me not say that. I was about to say, <laughs> Had a cast of characters because shit, they do. They did. They had. They had everything. They had barbers. They had freaking guys walking around with parrots. They had their host of characters. So this is probably WCW's take on it. Although they did a horrible job in this case, but uh, you know, there's a place for someone. There's a place for everybody on the card. And uh, I guess this guy's place. My question is, why didn't you just give the guy the strap and and uh, have him be the world champion? I, I don't know if you wanted Norman the Lunatic to be the NWA Heavyweight Champion. TW, what say you before we get to that first half break? Lunatic. Norman the Lunatic to me, I didn't like him. The second I saw him, he's an actually he's rest in peace. He's a beautiful human being. He wrestled a ton around here as Bastion Booger once he was you know let go from well, WWE. That was Booger? Yes. Yeah. Bro, you know what's crazy? I was about to compare him to Bastion Booger. I did not realize that was Bastion Booger. <laughs> and that's Eureka. the that's the monk too. That's the the WWE monk. Yeah. 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 But he was—he's a sweetheart of a human being. He—he—he he, he loves Scott Tamore. I don't know if they knew each other before he booked him for our shows. Um, and I want to say he's from Michigan or at least somewhere around there, or maybe even from Ontario. But 
Um, somehow I remember him being from Michigan, but he was just an absolute joy to be around when he was on the show. And when he passed away, it was, you know, you felt sad because he was just a good guy. But that Norman the Lunatic deal, I want to say it was Brian Pillman that started giving him the teddy bear. Mm-hmm. And that's what turned him good guy. And Could he have been helping Brian Pillman. If it wasn't Pillman, it was someone else I liked. And that actually turned the tide for me to start liking him. But I just remember just, I mean, he's he's a shorter, fatter, different color jumpsuit version of Nails, who I think might be the worst gimmick of all time. And Norman Lunatic, is, is, Nails is brutal. Bro, <laughs> first of all, he sucked. <laughs> That's not, well, Isaac Yankin's awesome, uh, or also gar- garbage. But but Nails and, and Nails... When they made him, he was right in the main event. Like, he went straight to it. And you're just like, what? You know. I, and, and- I know you have to go to – I know we have to go to break soon, but let me – now is that time of the show where I'm going to fucking disagree with TW. No, no. Yeah, we, we got to do it. We got to do it. We, we, we've been missing this for many weeks here. Go ahead. And, and Professor, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Nails came through around 92 because I know he fought uh, Bossman in 92. In 1992, JB was nine years old. So when Nails came through, I was about eight, nine years old. I remember the day that Nails debuted when he came out of the audience and he beat the shit out of Big Boss Man. I was fucking terrified. As a eight, nine, I was nine. twenty, so right. Was, so of course, was... so to me, he was like ridiculous. Like, oh my god, who is this guy? He was nobody close to being the worst gimmick ever. I mean, there was there's a lot of worse gimmicks oh. than that. You're well, right. You're saying this gimmick. The worst gimmick ever is the Undertaker. Is the worst gimmick ever. Why do you talk to cut promos? This man gave some serious promos like, boss, man. You know, he was like, he was really great. I mean, how many guys do you know choked Vince McMahon off oh, screen? We're going to put a poll up and ask people who think Nails had good promos. His, pro, I, his promo? I was stunned. To, to, to be when fair, to be fair. When I say promos were good, when he spoke, you listened because he was, they had so much aggression and so much, like he was like a crazy person. He was spitting from the mouth and his face was red. And he was like a, like a, some of the best gimmicks are when they're fucking real. Cause he was a crazy person. So <laughs> he out Vince, though. Not ca- gimmicks characters, but well, dude, I'm telling and- you, JB, do me a favor. Just go back and watch nails matches. And if we don't agree next week that he was hot no. garbage, then I will. Retract so, okay, so- no, no, one second though. I agree his matches were shit, but here's the thing. If your matches, Everything about him. Hold on. If your matches are – to me, your matches and your character is two different things. You can have a phenomenal character and have shit matches, and you can have amazing matches with this shit character. Let me, let me put it from this lens, okay? It's 89. Wrestling, especially NWA, is saying this is what we wrestle. They didn't directly take shots at WWF. But they were calling it a circus, basically, around then in the magazines, on WCW or NWA. So, WWE, dude, they doubled down on the cartoon characters. They doubled down on the fucking stupid gimmicks. So, you have the NWA. Do Norman? How do you do Norman while you're ripping on the other place for being the, the circus, right? And we wrestle, and he comes out and just crushes people. But nails now ninety two, we're we're still trying to tell people wrestling's real. This is right before K-Pave died. Wrestling is real. Yet if you turn on a WWF TV show in nineteen ninety two, there's maybe two guys wearing wrestling gear. 
Everyone else is wearing a prison guard, a prison inmate, a Mountie, a bulldog, a Mantar, a freaking dead man who embalms people after he's dead, apparently. Everyone had some stupid gimmick that was a character. And then you had the goon, and then you had Rad Radford, and you had the T.L. Hopper, and then Freddie Joe Floyd. Duke the Dumpster. Duke the Dumpster. You have all all this stuff added. So a psycho from a ward is okay. Technically, no. psycho from a mental. Wolf. It's the worst of the worst, is what. It is. <laughs> Actually, I stand corrected. T.L. Hopper's the worst of the worst. I, okay. That, uh, that and the goon. Fun fact: I just re- referenced Scott Demore. Scott Demore wrestled in a tag team where they came. I think it was with Rhino. They wore mm-hmm. hockey gear and skates without the blades on them, and came out just assholes like they were the Hanson brothers. And not long after that, the goon came on WWF TV. And Scott wanted to sue him. All right. So, you know what? Let's take a pause for the cause. And the executive producer of the PWR podcast, Big Ray Hernandez, is going to, you know, take some clips from this episode of NWA Main Event from August 12th, 1989 here. And, of course, the PWR podcast episode 124 is always brought to you by Brosters. It's always brought to you by StevieRichesFitness.com. And it's now brought to you by... These nuts of the professor. Let's take a pause for the cause and we'll be back with the second half of the PWR podcast. Well, he apparently says he's just going to walk away from his partner and the partner's getting pinned. Tommy Rich and Flying Brian. Well, Rich and Flying Brian are the winners. Perhaps the real story in this one is the fact that the Iron Sheik came out and took Ron Simmons away. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Ross back with you here on Worldwide Wrestling. Great crowd here tonight in New Orleans. We always love coming back to the Crescent City. And one of the most popular men in the NWA right now is Rick Steiner. You got your girlfriend. Now, we know about... Are, are you serious about this young lady? Well, I don't know what that girl's trying to do. She always comes up and follows me around in the match. I don't know what she's doing. Hey, Terry! What did I hear you say about my brother? I don't know why. Why you hang around with those guys? Those guys are sissies. What's the matter? I don't. Why they? What do you? What do you mean? They're my brothers. I know, but 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 they got lost. I don't know why. Why you with them guys? They're like sissies. Now you're not talking about him. Now he's a tough no, guy. He's a tough guy. But but the other guys. Why why you do that? Let me understand. tell you something, boy. You should understand. They're my brothers. They're my brothers. Well, I, I don't want to... Hey! Come on, guys. That's not necessary. He sucker punched him. Though. Here comes here comes Garvin and Hayes to jump in after Gordy's done the damage. They're stomping Rick Steiner. They know they got a match with him and his brother later in the night. That the Road Warriors Samoan will ever settle their situation will be one-on-one inside a steel cage. And I know that the Road Warriors are ready for that. Jimmy Rock, there's a few things we're short of. We're short of a few bricks. A few singles and our elevator and don't go to the top. We're short on patience and we're short tempered. But we got one thing that's long. We got a long memory. Real long. 
and we'll never forget the massacre in Marietta at the hands of the Freebirds, the Samoans, and that little runt, Paulie Dangerously. And you know something? We're in cage matches with the Samoans, and you want to know why? Because we're putting them out of commission so we can get on the business with the Freebirds, because like I said, the big man, the brain man, and the goofball don't forget nothing. Tell him, you know some Jim Ross? We got one distinct advantage over those other five morons. Paul Ellery's got more brains in his skull than they got put together. And Paul Ellery said that's gonna get. I've had enough. I know you guys had enough. He said, boys, it's time for the cage. And nobody but the Warriors walks out a winner in a cage match. Ladies and gentlemen, they are ready for the cage match showdown and will be right back. With a Steiner line, he's having a lot of fun in there. The dog-faced Gremlins and the Steiners have got the momentum in their favor. Howdy Steiner thrown outside by Jimmy Garvin. Oh, big post line there by Michael Hayes. Welcome to the second half of the PWR podcast. And you know what? We're going to only talk about two segments really here for this whole show. You know, not only we're we going to talk about the Steiners and the Freebirds, a little bit more with the main event match. We'll get into what was going on within the match itself. But before that, we were talking about, you know, this is the Super Summer Sizzler Tour. You know, this is after the Great American Bash. And, you know, this is after War Games, guys. So, you know what? There was another few going along here. And you had the Road Warriors and the Samoan SWAT team. You know, Paul Ellering, Paul Heyman, you know, taking jabs with each other here. And I kind of found it ironic and funny here. So I'm going to go to TW first because, you know, War Games was the ultimate payoff. Was the ultimate payoff for the bitter feud here. So on a technicality scale... You know, the Road Warriors did not, you know, make the Samoans, any member of the Samoan SWAT team, you know, submit or surrender. I get that. So now they're going to, you know, have, and you got an action figure of the, is that a WCW or that's a WWF? How could you ask that question, Professor? WWF. Because they wore that in WCW too, JB. But anyway. (laughs) But anyway. They were promoting during their Super Summer Sizzler tour. That's a tongue twister right there. There was going to be a big cage match between, you know, the Road Wars and the Samoan SWAT team, uh, TW. So, you know, you had war games. And and like I said, technicality-wise, they didn't make the Samoan SWAT team, you know, submit. So does this make sense in in a scale? Because they have to have this blow-off. And in in again, another cage match. Didn't we already have a big payoff, and now we're going to actually repeat ourselves again? Or is it different? No, and they and they covered themselves by saying this time it's just going to be those two teams, and then there's not going to be the Freebirds, and I don't know who team with the Road Warriors. Midnight Express. Midnight Express. So it was – this is just two against two in the cage, Ellering and, and uh, the other Paul Heyman on the outside – 
Um, and it's just those two, and may the best team win. Because I'm going to assume the Road Warriors beat the Freebirds in that match. Uh, the uh, with the War Games. Yeah. Yeah, the Road Warriors actually. I think it was Hawk that made Jimmy Garvin submit. Okay, and then they also said in their promo, which was off the wall. I I think Animal is okay. Hawk is fucking nuts as the Ultimate Warrior when he does a promo, right? And I love him. I love them both. And I actually like when Hawk did the full face mask, not the mm-hmm. Paul Stanley star on one eye and the, the blush on the other cheek. But uh, mm-hmm. he mentioned, once we beat you in the cage, we're going to move on to what we really want, the Freebirds and the tag boat. So they mm-hmm. were setting it up for the Road Warriors to go for the Freebirds by having them submit them in the thing and then also having them talk about them when they were setting up their cage match. I don't remember who won. And JB, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. One of the Samoan SWAT team is Rikishi. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't remember. I, were they on this? They were on this show. Who? They they did a. It was a like commercial. It's like a between. It's like a flashback. Eat, eating some fucking coconuts or some shit. And he, he actually might have been eating a cheeseburger like David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Who's Rikishi's bur- uh, partner? I almost said who's Rikishi's burger. <laughs> who's Rikishi's partner? Samu. Oh, so so you're saying it's the head shrinkers then? It is the head shrinkers. Gotcha. gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Samoan SWAT team is, to me, one of the coolest names for a tag team ever. And hands down, my favorite Samoan tag team of all time was those two, Samu and Batu. When you it, said Samoan SWAT team, you know what I thought about? Uh, uh, T.W., I don't know if you might know, but Professor, maybe. In the 1996 Royal Rumble, remember there was these two gigantic Samoan guys, the ball-headed, big, fat dudes? You know what I'm talking about? Any guys? It was, they were only in the 96 Rumble. I don't think I've ever seen them ever again. Well, those, uh, you're talking about they look like Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Abdullah the Butcher Crash, twins. Crash. Yeah, I thought those. Crash I thought that's what you're talking about. I thought those were the small, the small swats. These guys are from Puerto Rico. Crash and something. Oh, yeah, I forget. Yeah. I forget their names, but uh, you know, you look at the Samoan SWAT team, JB. You know, you know them as the head shrinkers in WWF in the in the early '90s with Captain Lou and all that stuff. But I, I guess you know, to me. I looked at them in NWA, I looked at them in WWF, and and to me, I never saw their fullest potentials in either organization. I only saw their fullest potentials in world class because, again, being the professor like I am, I saw how you know devastating they were in world class and being the tag team champions, being devastating and, and dominating that tag team division, You know, going to the AWA and all that stuff when they had that kind of friendship and or working relationship with you know Jared and Fritz and all that stuff and Ganya. Did you see the full potential of SST, aka the Head Shrinkers in WWF, in your eyes? Well, and not because they, they were the tag team champions, but did you see it? I didn't see it. To me, no, one hundred percent. And and yet, I have to mention the title. I think that's when uh, WWE brass realizes, well, like, hey, we have something with these guys, and you know that's why they turned babyface, and you know people were cheering for them. And I mean, these both of these guys could go, especially like. Rikishi was a, you know, he, I'm sure he was like 300 plus pounds, and he was doing some crazy shit off the top rope, and you know he was doing. He, both of these guys could go, man. I mean, Samoans could go, period. But these guys were 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 great. I mean, okay, let me hold, uh, let me hold off a second. They weren't great, but they were good. <laughs> and at mm-hmm. a time, 
at a time where tag team wrestling around the ni- 94, we were seeing a lot of random shit. Well, just to get a Marty Jannetty, we had the Quebecers. We didn't have like the Hart Foundation and the Legion. We were, it was just coming off that stuff. So, you know, I, uh, I, I was okay with them. And I, I think that, I think they did well. And, uh, you know, were they one of the top 10 ever? No. But I think they, the, the tag title run was definitely valid. I don't know what kind of run they had in NWA and before that, because I don't remember them at all from that. But in terms of 94, or not 94, but right before they had that title strap, I think it was well-deserved. Or well-earned, I should say. I know Rick Vickery, if he's listening to this, he hates when, when you use that word deserved. Well, and, and to, answer the NW, to answer the NWA part, they lost at the War Games. They lost the cage match, TW, against the Road Warriors. And they got embarrassed at Starcade 89 where they pulled a donut in the Iron Man uh, Tag Team ta- uh, Challenge Tournament. So they really weren't used to their fullest potential here. So The thing is, they were better in world class. Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell the last thing because I'm not sure what the last thing is. But to be fair, to be hell. The Road Warriors yeah. doesn't hurt you because everybody lost the Road Warriors. And also, in working, <laughs> outside of like... Out the out, when the outsiders like NWO came to WCW, how often did did a heel the heel side of War Games win? I mean, not very much. Babyface usually always won War Games mm-hmm. yep. until until the nineties. You know, the 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 heels or I guess the NWO started winning those right. War Games. So you know, you know, the traditions of the War Games did change. So you know what? Let's talk about what we came here to talk about. And that- I don't get the get opinion on if they were success in the WWF or not. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna say? You're gonna say I'm yes. Gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. Gonna you. Yes. you gonna say yes. You're gonna say yes. I'm gonna add Simone. something to what you said about the mm-hmm. Simone SWAT team in NWA. I legit thought whoever they were in there with, they were going to beat them. And you just let me know they never beat anybody, right? Mm -hmm. But yet, all these years later, I still thought they were a presence in the NWA. When they came to the WWF and they were the head shrinkers, I hated that they changed their name. Hated it, right? Mm -hmm. Merchandising. Merchandising. Good shit with the Steiner brothers, if I'm not mistaken, who weren't even there that long. Um, Think they worked the Hart Foundation, uh, possible demolition. The head triggers? No, they yeah. worked the Steiners. They worked with the Steiners. Yeah, I think they had a feud with the Steiners, and the Steiners were at, the good at, guys. At WrestleMania um, 9. But I would say this, because I did remember them from the magazines from World Class, because they pretty much ran that joint. They just And then came to NWA is a big deal. Um, and again, came right for the Road Warriors when they got there. They probably weren't there that long. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say it's a success in the fact that Rikishi's had 19 characters there, and his kids got he's got like 19 kids there. So I think it worked out for him. But I would say for me it was disappointing because just like the sheep herders, they homogenized them when they got to the WWF. I didn't think they were the same scary mm-hmm. team. They were almost cartoonish as the head shrinkers. They were eating raw. I think they were with. They were Captain Lou. They were the last team he went to the tag team titles with. Was was them? And they were uh, eating. They were eating raw chicken and meat and all that stuff. Right, and it was just too whatever. Whereas NWA, they just came out and kicked your ass, right? And someone mm-hmm. else did the talking for them there too. Um, but I, I think personally, for me, I wish the SWAT team was what the WWF had, and then we'd all be saying they were a huge success because they would have been, and especially as heels. But but JB's right. They they turned them into the next Bushwhackers basically because the Bushwhack 
JB, the Bushwhackers are ECW ready in the 80s. ECW ready to make people bleed, to bleed, to scare people, to make you think it's 100% real. Then they come out in WWF, and I was like, what in the fuck? Even as a kid who still bought in, I thought mm -hmm. the Bushwhackers were absolute embarrassments. You know, I love them as people. I wrestled them once. I'm, I'm name dropping all night tonight. And they mm -hmm. were tremendous human beings. I had quite a few conversations with Luke. Uh, no, Butch. I'm sorry, Butch. Um, another grateful guy to be in this country. Told me himself every time he flew back to, they're not from New Zealand, but they're from a smaller island outside of New Zealand. He said to me, every time their plane landed in Florida, he got out of that plane, walked away from it, kneeled on the ground and kissed the ground and thank God he was back in America every single time he came back. Not That's in 2020. Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. Now, why don't you kick him while he's down? I am kicking him while he's down. He will just tell you the truth that America sucks now in 2020. He wouldn't kiss the ground because he'll catch COVID in America. He'd, he'd tell you to hop on a plane and go to New Zealand and then come back and tell, tell me what you think. I, I'll do that. I'll go. I'll kiss the ground in New Zealand. COVID right now, by the way. Hey, JB, doesn't he look like Kanye right now on the screen? Um, professor, yeah, a little bit, I guess. Give him a little I'm, gold tooth. He's all in. And a Kim Kardashian poster. I'm not. A, I'm not a gay fish. I'm not a gay fish. So, <laughs> but anyway. Oh, that's let, actually called the Headhunters. Headhunter A and Headhunter B, and they're actually uh, Manuel and Victor Santiago. Thank oh yeah, the Abdullah the Butcher uh, clones. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So let's I talk about a picture. let's talk about what we what we're here to talk about Missy in Hyatt. more in depth. Well, of course, we'll talk about Missy High in a second. But the main event here was about the Steiner brothers because of what happened to Rick Steiner earlier in main event being cold cocked by Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Now it's a non-title match between the Steiners. And the Freebirds here on NWA main event. So, you know, I'm going to go to JB here first. You know, again, like we said, the Steiner brothers are the up and coming tag team. They're not matching. You know, I, I you know, they're technically sound here. You know, all the stuff here, you know, Rick Steiner's the lovable, you know, the lovable mentally retarded guy here. Scott Steiner is green. We know he's green and all he could do is do, you know, he could do his moves. Now you got the Freebirds, you know, they got the pizzazz, they got the showmanship, you know, Michael Hayes can have a, have the crowd in the palm of his hand. So all the variables here, the Freebirds are here to get the Steiner brothers over more. They're there to get, give them the rub as a team to be reckoned with. What say you JB about this match and, you know, the overall variables here? Yeah. I mean, I think, you, I think you kind of said it all right there. I mean, uh, you know, it's 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 the Freebirds and the Steiners, and it was cool to kind of watch this because I I don't I. You was watching Missy. That's all you was watching. You was not watching the match. Go ahead, be the man. Be be that horny man. Just admit it. No, no, no. <laughs> but I don't remember seeing. I'm sure they must have fought a ton of times, but it, again, because I was more on the WWE side, I don't remember seeing them fight. I mean, this might have been maybe the maybe the first match I've even seen them fight. I don't know. I have to really think about it, but. Yeah, it was interesting to see, and uh, I always enjoy watching the Freebirds because it's just crazy how over they were. Um, not necessarily on, on this particular night, but just overall how over they were. So I always enjoy watching the Freebirds, and uh, again, it was interesting to see the Steiner Brothers because they weren't at the peak of their career. They were just making that climb, so yeah, it, interesting. That That's the one thing I like about some of these older 
uh, NWA shows and, and things like that because I haven't seen a lot of that shit. I, yeah, the pay-per-views I've seen and the clashes I've seen, but just like the worldwide and the Saturday Night Lives and stuff, I, I haven't seen a lot of those. So when you bring up something like this, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of hidden gems for me. For example, like you said, like Tito was saying, I didn't know that was freaking Bastion Booker. Um, Bastion Booker. <laughs> so there's a lot of a lot of different five things. time, five time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of different things. So yeah, I mean. I don't really have much to comment on the match. It was whatever. Missy Hyde actually looked good. Um, I thought, and that was my that's my summary pretty much. I, I was twelve years old. and I got a chubby because I saw Missy Hyatt at you know in nineteen eighty nine. But that's just me. So TW, I'm going to go to you here. You know the maturation of the Steiner brothers. I mean, you know, I keep saying they could be you know debatable top ten of all time. But you know, in eighty nine, they're, they're coming up. They're making a name for themselves here. So we know that they're untapped potential in the eyes of Jim Hurd, in the eyes of Jim Ross. You know, they, they look green. Well, Scott Steiner on his end look green. Rick Steiner is already, you know, years in the business. He was already associated with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. So he already knows the ins and outs of Southern wrestling fans. So what say you about this match, the way it was supposed to be made? Did, did, it, did it do what I said it was supposed to do? The Freebirds gave him the rub that they did, deserved. This match is what wrestling, I said it earlier when we first started, this is what wrestling main events should be. I, this show is what wrestling should be. The Road Warriors killed guys in under a minute. Uh, Norman the Lunatic killed guys in under a minute. You had that weird tag team match that, you know, took more than a squash match would take, but ended kind of weird with a squash to the ding-dong. And it, what it did was it made you salivate and, and just wait for the day that – Norman fought Tommy Rich, for lack of a better guy, because Pillman fought Norman, whatever the case may be. And then you have this match. It's your main event of the evening. It's the Freebirds who are the champions. I'm not big on non-title matches, but in this case, it makes sense because, to me, Scott Steiner here is like Dustin Rhodes was on WWF, where he had to go 10 minutes with with, uh, DiBiase to get a contract Uh or whatever he was trying to do. It's a nice way to introduce family uh, and not be nepotism maybe he got the shot but then he had to earn it Uh and the way this match ends is so weird it's so cumbersome that it's beautiful because it looks real right do you remember the finish yeah he went off the top rope and uh, and jumped off and you know went on top of it better was michael hayes clothesline rick steiner and then picked him up to do a move to him the only thing that would have made it better is if Michael Hayes wasn't standing there staring at Scott Steiner. If they had timed it a little better, uh-huh. um, because he turned and looked at him like, "Are you ready?" And then Scott did a high cross body to Rick's back, and then Rick lands on top of him like a big dog holding somebody down on the uh, chair and doesn't hook the leg. I think he should have hooked the leg, but I guess the the logic is the clothesline knocked Rick out, and he's just there dead weight on top of Michael Hayes, uh-huh. and he can't kick out. But I loved everything about it. Um, the champions lose. They're still they still are champions. So that once the Road Warriors are ready to take the belts from them, they still got them. But now we got a wild card in there because these guys win the non-title match, which we all know historically means you ain't winning the belts. That's why it was a non-title match in the first place. But they might have. I don't remember. But that first match, I meant to say this: they didn't win the titles. They didn't win the titles until of November of '89. So it from took a while. Freebirds? Yeah, from the Freebirds. Right. So they chased him the way it used to be. How mm-hmm. people chased Ric Flair for a year and then finally got him. But yeah, I liked everything about it. I think I think this whole show was how wrestling should be. It you mm-hmm. said it yourself. 
it's it's pacing itself because you got three months between pay-per-view shows. Um, it's pacing itself because you just you're showcasing guys in those squash matches. I, I cringe to think about what the internet would do if they went back to squash matches on Raw. They would just cringe oh because mm-hmm. they would be like, what is this shit? But at the end of the day, it's what di- differentiated between a pay-per-view and a TV show. Yep. Absolutely, 100%. And, and JB, even this match, you know, a non-title match, and you got a promo from the Freebirds saying they want the Steiner brothers the following week and they're going to put up the tag team championships, you know, and, and Jim Ross kind of egged them on. So, you know what? You got everything from this one hour show, like TW said. So the formula is is there to, you know, stretch out, you know, three months be- before another pay-per-view or three months before another, you know, hot angle or another hot feud. So we're missing that in 2020 with the with today's WWE, with today's AEW, even you talk about New Japan and maybe even Impact Wrestling, we're missing that kind of feeling. What say you, so, you know, to close it out, JB. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, one of the things that that, that people say why it, the pay-per-view shouldn't be so far out is because, oh, it becomes, it becomes stale and it's too far apart. This actually is a perfect example of how it doesn't because there's so many different things you can do in between to, to further move along the storyline. And because you're having these these squash matches, squash matches in between, and these different type of uh, of story driven things, you don't mm-hmm. have to have the guys fight all the time. It doesn't always have to have the guys. You know, uh, it's almost it's almost like you're saying, JB. You could test the waters, and if one few doesn't work between a three month span, you can just switch it and do another hot angle, and then you know build it towards the pay per view. Sometimes that's what NWA used to do too. Right, and but but the way it's set up now, you can't really do that because you're locked in for at least a month. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're in, and and the thing is also when they're progressing these some of these storylines nowadays, these guys are by the time the pay per view come around, you might have seen these guys fight each other at least two or three times. Whether it's one on one, they had a two on two, they they might have fought in the in the in the back, and and they've had so much involvement that at this point, a quote unquote pay per view, the the luster is gone. It's like okay, I've seen this a million times already. Why should I give a fuck? Right. You know, in closing, for the from the professor's perspective, of course, why I love this NWA main event, the, you know, the Steiners are there, the Freebirds are there, you know, great tag teams, just like we talked about in our greatest tag teams edition of the PWR podcast. You know, Norman the Lunatic to me gets a pass because I think it was an untapped kind of character that could have been something, but then they... T- they totally messed it up because, again, they, they try to do something, you know, the lovable, you know, mentally challenged guys. So they were trying to, you know, capture that kid's audience. Ron Simmons, you know, they didn't know what to do with him because, you know, of course, you know, Southern wrestling promoters were racist. They didn't know what to do with a black guy. And, you know, again, the hot feud of 1989, no matter what, it went all the way to November of 89 with the Clash of Champions, the I Quit match, Flair and Funk. And, you know, you went from Great American Bash, then you had Halloween Havoc, the, the Thunderdome, and then, of course, the I Quit match. So this was a great feud. You had all the variables, the top tens. And like TW said last week, and he'll, and I'll say it again, it's an hour. So sometimes less is more. So, you know, it keeps you wanting more. TW, any closing thoughts before I? you think I'm, I'm accusing, you know, you accuse me of, of trying to dismiss you? I gave you the entire hour and a half we've been talking to bring them up. You and I talked about doing a show for Global 
because of the passing of one Joe Pettacino. And this mm-hmm. show had Pettacino all over it in the Pettacino corner and the fan scan cam. And Joe Pettacino looked like a million bucks, looked way better than he did in Global. And uh, it was good to see his face. And, and Jim Ross was on fire, too. Like, this was vintage Jim Ross. Um, I, I really enjoyed the show. You, so you remember past. Joe Pettacino controlled the WCW hotline. He, he's the one that organized it. He, he's the one that arranged all the days. I forget what day he was. I think it was Tuesdays. Jim Ross was Fridays. Uh, Paul Heyman was Thursdays or something like that. But, you know, Joe Pettacino did a lot behind the scenes. But, you know, again, there was a lot of mismanagement after the Ted Turner regime took over. So go ahead, TW. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, it's just good to see Pettacino on there, Pettacino on there, uh, even though we end up not doing the, the tribute show to him, per se, by doing a global because of uh, his passing. Uh, we had a lot of stuff go down in, in the month of July that we just missed a lot of things. But uh, it was good to see him there. And I, I, I'm, hey, last week I wanted to kill people with the show you picked to make me watch. This week I want to give you a, a virtual hot five because I, I, I did fall asleep watching it only because I'm tired and I had jet lag. But I like like I was disappointed because I tried to find this on the network and they don't have worldwide on there. They just have uh, Saturday night and WCW, mm-hmm. uh, whatever the hell it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but uh, but uh, I I thoroughly enjoyed it and I you know I hate you too. But I hope the WWF signs the worldwide stuff and 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 gets it or someone gets it on TV because it was very enjoyable. At the very least, it's going to make me sit down and watch the WCW Saturday night. Worldwide, mm-hmm. not or whatever they call it. Monday night. That's it. Right. That's what I want to watch the Saturday night stuff with you know that where they had that set and everybody came out and did their thing. This was a good good show to watch. And anybody mm-hmm. the seventy of to listen to this, it's worth looking up on YouTube and watching it yourself. Because you know what happens after it ends? They play the next episode on YouTube, so you can you can get lost in the wormhole and just watch a ton of it. Absolutely. And JB, before we close out, I, did you see some of these commercials? I got I got so hyped for seeing the Nintendo Power Magazine commercial. It made me want to you know go back and, and open you know hook up my Nintendo again and start playing like Legend of Zelda. What say you before we close out and give our, our parting shots? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they they had some interesting commercials, and uh, for, again, for those who don't know, not only do I do a, a MMA UFC podcast, but I also do the Film Frequency with my brother CEO Hayes, and uh, you know it's a it's a film review. So I'm a huge film guy and. I just remember off the top of my head, some of the, we had some great stuff coming around this time. We had uh, Uncle Buck with, you know, the kid from Home yep. Alone, John Candy. And uh, I remember they had Nightmare on Elm Street 5, which was probably the worst one. But uh, it was Green a Child. trailer. And um, there was a – oh, also, uh, they had uh, that movie with uh, Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox, Casualties of War, which wow. I just want to tell oh. a quick story. just wanted to tell a quick story about Casualties of War. Um, I don't know if this was natural, but in tandem with Blockbuster Video, there used to be a place called Hollywood Video. I don't know if it was available in nationwide, but I had a membership to Hollywood Video, and the very last Hollywood time, Video. What's that? Hollywood Video. Yeah, Hollywood Video, and we uh, they were a co- they were a competitor of Blockbuster, but um, it was yep. very close to me, so I, I actually had memberships on both. But anyway, that's the you know whatever, but. I remember renting them uh, Casualties of War because I'm a, I'm a big war buff guy and I'm a huge Michael J. Fox fan as well. And I rented Casualties of War and I had that thing for like forever. And I know my fee was like probably like in the hundreds by then. And 
actually, when I did decide to go back, because I, I, I started going more to Blockbuster, so when I finally decided to go back to Hollywood Video, the place actually closed down until this day. Uh. Hollywood Video. <laughs> of Cashier. JB, the, the thief. Do you still owe? You put them out of business. That's what you're trying to say because you did not bring that tape back. That's what happens. That's what JB's saying. He's already committing thievery here. He's not only uh you know stalking. He's stalking Sonya Deville and he's holding Hollywood Video up for you know hostage with his tapes. But anyway, this has been episode 124 of the PWR podcast. Boardroom style, you know, these are fun, you know, we could talk about an episode, we don't have to go segment by segment because sometimes we just fall asleep during these segments, so we don't want to bore you, we don't want to put you to sleep, we want to talk about, we've been in the past, we've merged with the present, and maybe we would talk about the future, if you know the lot of numbers, tell the professor because he needs to win a couple of million dollars, but anyway, JB, you talk about the film frequency, you talk about UFC, Cage Theory, give out your socials and give out whatever you're plugging, my friend. Yeah, so I can be reached on Twitter, even though I'm not there as much. Um, I just I just crossed 1,400 uh, followers, so appreciate everyone who's following me. I know I'm not on there that much, so I'm not doing a lot of content. I'm mostly on Facebook these days, but I can reach on Twitter at the P1JB, at T-H-E-P-1-J-B. Of course, I am on Facebook, Javid Bashrula. You can find me on the Hami Media Group discussion page. Also, Kate Steely, Film Frequency discussion page. I'm doing everything. So, yeah, just go ahead and follow my stuff, and uh, keep back over the professor. And you and who are you gonna fight at Raw Underground? Who are you gonna get your ass kicked by next time? Um, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna take on Alexa Bliss. Oh, okay. So you you you're really gonna take a dive now? I see you. I see you. Smart man. Smart man. So TW, oh, yeah. TW, give out those socials. Give out your grinders. You know because I know you got some uh, states to visit for your booty call. So give out them infos. Good lord. Uh, obviously the show Pro Wrestling Reflection can be found at PW Reflection. Hameen can be at Hameen Media Group. These are all Twitters, obviously. Uh, Travis, I left you out a couple times. I'm put you back in the rotation at Nuts and Bolts PW, where he still lags behind me in followers. Uh, our guy, Big Ray, has got Big Ray's Ministry, at Big Ray's Ministry. And then you got me, at Tommy Wonder 19 for the politics, and it's political season, baby. And then you got at The Tommy Wonder, and then Facebook.com backslash Tommy Wonder. And of course, Reflection Ice, you can follow me on my Twitter at PROFPWHustle, aka Professor PWHustle. Also, follow us on the PWHustle Networks on Podbean.com, where we do we have some shows uh, lining up ridiculously random. Maybe the PWR podcast might get, you know, infiltrate the PWHustle Networks. We don't know. It's still a work in progress. But of course, follow my brothers in arms. A-Track Brown, the dirtiest of the city at A-Track Dastily, and of course, Mr. Infinite Fringe himself, Billy Ray Valentine at Obi-Wan, you know me. And I don't know what we're going to do next week. You know, we'll we'll, de- we'll slide in each other's DMs. No homo there, but you know, we'll figure it out. We'll find a show. Maybe we'll do an what eight hour... We're going to do maybe a six hour pay-per-view to wake up TW. You know, he wants to do a six hour pay-per-view. So we might do WrestleMania. We might do WrestleMania from last year where Becky Lynch, uh, you know, won the won the titles, you know, and the one that ended at one in the morning. Well, who knows? We'll figure it out. For that, I'm the professor. That's the prodigal one, a.k.a. Essential JB and TW Tommy Strong, a.k.a. Tommy won the same. Good night. See you next time. And who's going to, who's going to, you know, do the war crime? JB's going to do the war cry because he's...
It's his job. He's been out of MIA. He's been getting his ass whipped on the Raw Undergrounds. You got to do a war cry, any war cry, my friend, to close Even it out. Even though he's been on the show, he's still the face to me. Woo! Ric Flair, that's good enough for me. See you next week, Reflectionites. <laughs> She's a good girl. Loves her mama. Loves Jesus. In America, too. She's a good girl. She's crazy about Elvis. Loves horses. And her boyfriend, too. It's a long day Living in Reseda There's a freeway Running through the yard And I'm a bad boy Cause I don't even miss her I'm a bad boy For, for breaking her heart